3: Welcome back, friend. How'd your Valentine's Day go? Turns out Valentine's Day has a rich and interesting history. See, Saint Valentine was a Roman priest from back in the third century. Supposedly, he gave the emperor some heart candies that said, be mine and XOXO. So they threw him to wild animals for being a creep. Romans. True story, buddy. And that's how you get a holiday named after you. Hope you got laid. Anyway, let's head in. I gotta do that catchphrase and play the story. Mmm. Well, that's better. So smoke them if you got em and drink those glasses to the bottom, friends. Cause old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. Oh, hey. I didn't see you there. You know, Drew Blood's
0: Stark Tales is only one of the many shows on this network you could be listening to. We hope you'll subscribe to our entire lineup, including Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill. All available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our entire catalog ad-free and available to download or stream. A bargain. And now, back to the show.
3: So, tonight we welcome J.B. Shaw, a talented author brand new to the network. This one's the tale of a man who gave his heart candies to the wrong woman. Happens to the best of us. So, without further delay, I give you, from author J.B. Shaw, the harpsichord. On that fateful April 1st, 1904, I found myself forging through the tumultuous terrain of the Midwest. I had taken it upon myself to make the trek for a personal reason, the birth of my nephew. Being both unmarried and childless, my sister and her son had great importance in my life, so much so that I deemed it my duty to be present during this joyous occasion settled in Kansas with my brother-in-law, a soldier. My sister had managed to create a life for herself despite leaving New York. With our parents long since passed, I was all that remained of our family and thus I felt it my responsibility to extend a helping hand whenever I could. Although the time of outlaws and cowboys had come to pass, I remained wary of the wild, unpredictable terrain of America. Though not without some trepidation, I embarked on my journey alone. For many days, I made steady progress, uninterrupted by the troubles that plague solitary travelers. It was only when my journey had reached its final leg that the storm broke. A dreary, humid day quickly gave way to a tempest that soaked me to the bone. Though I soldiered on, It soon became clear that this storm would not be so easily surmounted. Thunder rumbled menacingly through the inky skies, sheets of rain looming like curtains and obscuring my vision. As the torrential rain battered my carriage, chilling winds whistled through the cracks with malicious determination, urging me to hasten my pace. Lightning cracked through the sky illuminating the landscape for split seconds and casting eerie shadows around the trees that bordered the road. The echoes of thunder rolled like a battle drum, rumbling in synchrony with my heartbeat. Alone and far from the refuge of a warm tavern or welcoming village, I clung tightly to hope as my uncertain journey continued relentlessly into the unknown, soaking and shivering as nature unleashed its fury. With each jolt of the carriage wheels, hope seemed to slip further away. Yet, as if heaven sent, a flickering light emerged in the distance. Desperation spurned me on until I arrived in the town of Bedford. Crossing the threshold of the town's borders, I saw what I first mistook for a cathedral, its mighty towers stretching upward into the storm. Through torrents of rain and gusts of wind, I stumbled into my savior, the Harpsichord Inn, and the man and woman yelling over the tempest to come inside. The owners of my sanctuary were very accommodating, with the woman taking me in immediately while the man corralled my horses in the nearby stable. Before I could collect my bearings, I was seated in front of a crackling fireplace and served tea. John Harpsichord, the proprietor of the inn, returned from the outside and sat with me, sending his wife to fetch a warm blanket. The conversation that went on between John and me had been cordial enough, but deep down I knew there was something off about the whole situation. In between our intermittent chatter... I couldn't help but feel a nagging sense of anxiety gnawing at the back of my mind, telling me that all was not as it seemed. As he spoke, my mind began to race. I was stricken with a deep fear for reasons unknown. John was a very normal and polite individual. The inn was warm and cozy. But something rattled me in a way I couldn't place, as if a primal instinct was telling me to flee. It wasn't long before I started to pick up on some unsettling truths. John's late brother, William Harpsichord, had died under mysterious circumstances, leaving him the estate in Bedford. The house itself had been erected in 1894 and had served as William's lavish vacation home. Despite their apparent wealth, there was something sinister lurking beneath the surface of this family's history. My own weariness, compounded with the peculiarity of the situation, left me exhausted. I asked about the price of a room and tried to shake off the uneasy feelings of foreboding that had settled in the pit of my stomach. I knew to go back out into the storm would be suicide, so I decided to brave the night and tried to put the feeling out of my mind. I rationalized it as me simply being in shock from earlier. As I retired to bed for the night, I managed to fall into a deep sleep despite the pounding rain and thunder that raged outside, or the gut instinct telling me I was in danger. Eventually the dawn broke and I awoke to a new day. That's when it seemed that my luck had finally run dry. The sense that I was in danger grew stronger, like a black cloud hanging overhead threatening to unleash a storm of its own. The storm had raised the nearby river waters to dangerous levels, oscillating the city and making it impossible for me to continue my journey. As far north as the Iowa border and as far south as Arkansas, the Missouri River and roads were flooded. It had been the worst flooding in known memory and it took little time for the news to spread throughout the region.
4: I'm afraid you're stuck, sir, John told me. The bridges and even the ferry down by the Harlow are flooded. From what the telegraph offices are telling me, we're all marooned till she goes down.
3: For three long days, boredom and sulking had consumed me, leaving me to pass the hours amidst the walls and halls of the Harpsichord Estate. The Queen Anne architecture loomed large and imposing. The handcrafted woodwork seemed to breathe with a life of its own. The mansion boasted not one but six towers, a large one at the center and two smaller ones on the east wing and three on the west. The tower at the center was like a watchful sentinel, always on guard over the grand double doors that led within. But as the days wore on, my curiosity began to turn towards the family itself. John and I quickly became friends, bonded by our shared love of pipe smoking and French literature. I felt a little more at ease after bonding with John, but the feeling of impending doom never left. I tried to keep my mind occupied by talking to him, it was during one of these conversations that I learned a truth about the harpsichord family and their peculiar last name, a name derived from the French word clavecin, a nod to their generation's old history of crafting harpsichords. The main foyer played host to a stunning harpsichord that produced a haunting melody unlike anything I had ever heard before. Each night after John's wife served up supper, John would take to the harpsichord, filling the bed and breakfast with his mesmerizing music. But despite this warm welcome, I could not shake the feeling of impatience that seemed to seep through my bones. Something was amiss, and I feared that my intuition was about to lead me down a dangerous path. The roads continued to remain waterlogged, My trips into the city's general store brought mud and bad news each time. The locals spoke in hushed tones, peering towards the rising water beside the riverbanks and cursing their misfortune. Their crops were ruined, and many were anxious for the water to recede so that they could replant and attempt to recover their losses. It struck an empathetic chord within me, but I was as destitute as any other with the rising waterways. I could have turned back then and visited my sister later in the year, but the fact that I was so close to my destination kept me in town. As fate demanded, I wouldn't be leaving before I met the demon that would be my downfall.
0: Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
2: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Download the free Angie mobile app today, or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
3: I dreamt the third night, the first time in a long while. Rain covered the sky, an intense howling of winds whistling through the air. Down the road I walked. I could see a massive herd of wild horses trotting, braving the storm. Without warning, A thunderbolt struck the herd, catching the horses on fire, their flaming hoofs galloping full speed towards me, blazing manes whipping in the air. I could feel the earth rumbling beneath my feet, an inaudible scream rising in my throat as I tried to run away, but the fiery stampede was too fast for me. The ground crumbled beneath as soon as the herd crushed me. I fell through darkness the horses disappearing. I began spinning faster and faster into the abyss. I closed my eyes as a strange landscape rushed towards me, but the impact never came. I opened my eyes to find myself in a massive harpsichord, its chords plucking overhead with a sickly rhythm. A wave of nausea and fear washed over me as I felt something stirring in my stomach. Excruciating pain erupted. A massive snake sprang from my navel, wiggling and writhing out as my skin burst and my intestines dropped to the floor. It reared up and wrapped itself firmly around my neck, squeezing harder and harder until I was gasping for air. It felt all too real. When I awoke, sweat pouring from me, I ripped off my nightshirt and half expected to find myself eviscerated. Of course, I did not, and took to spending the rest of the night smoking and pondering why I had such an intense nightmare. The fourth day brought a traveling circus into Bedford. It was spitting rain again, not quite a storm, but the sky was overcast. I had retired to the front porch with John for our customary smoking session after breakfast, when down the road we witnessed a peculiar sight. A total of 14 massive wagons, pulled by mighty shire stallions, creeped up the road towards us. The bright colors of the wagons were breathtaking amidst the grey sky and muddy brown roads. Various depictions were carved into the wagons' wood, from dancing women to mythological beasts. And, as impressive as the artwork was, it was almost overshadowed by the people themselves. The wagons pulled into the large yard of the harpsichord, and John excitedly went running toward them. The many men and women wore costumes, no doubt to advertise their company. Peacock feathers and bright sheets of satin decorated the women, whilst the male performers and workers wore purple and golden suits. Some wore overalls patterned in polka dots and fluffy buttons in absurd hues while many others were barely clothed at all, dressed in leotards and loincloths. I discerned from my seat on the porch the many unique faces and acts the circus performed. A strong man, his wagon with the words of the Goliath painted in dark green letters, trapeze artists known as the Star Sisters in a wagon of pure gold. One wagon was hitched to another And to my horror, I saw that the trailing wagon was in fact a wheeled cage housing two adult lions. Needless to say, we were busy for some time that morning. I volunteered helping John with the horses and leading various guests to their rooms. The harpsichord was filled to capacity, and I could tell that John and his wife were excited for the amount of business they had acquired. I learned from the ringleader, an eloquent man by the name of Otto, that they had been on their way to Topeka when the flooding disrupted them. They were several days behind schedule and were running low on food and various necessities. We conversed for quite some time, and he informed me of some crucial information that would later spell disaster. The Otto Traveling Circus is also a carnival. Just behind us are more of our people. Their wagons are a bit slower than ours. And sure enough, in the next hour, even more guests arrived. Because the harpsichord was full already, the carneys were allowed to pitch various tents just outside the grounds. It was surreal to see the many heads and faces of the workers. Some wagons were outfitted to be games such as tip the bottles or dunk the fool. Others set up their tents, the signs they boasted sewn straight into the tent fabric. There was a freak show, with the human cyclops and the alligator boy being the main attractions. Candy vendors and a merry-go-round operator set up on the other side of the street, the watery soil squishing beneath the wheels and coating everything with its dark color. After a long day, I retired to the main sitting room. John came in and sat beside me, smiling ear to ear. You seem pleased with all the business? I chuckled. John took out his pipe, looking at me fondly.
4: Yes, but not
3: just that. My sister Estelle works for Otto's Circus.
4: I wasn't aware they were coming this way. Your sister? I asked. Oh, yes. She's a fortune teller, he said.
3: I raised my eyebrow in surprise, but he only laughed. Don't
4: tell me. She's a good woman, just a bit queer. You'll meet her soon enough, he added before lighting his pipe.
3: Amused yet exhausted, I fell asleep right there next to the fireplace. The smell of Virginia tobacco in the air. It wasn't long before the citizens of Bedford took notice of their colorful visitors, so on the fifth day, despite the tragedy that permeated the town and its locals, a fully-fledged carnival sprang up. The sun shone with brilliance that evening, and children's laughter broke through the morose atmosphere. People smiled, putting away their worries for a time, and enjoyed themselves. Naturally, I joined in the merriment, drinking wine and playing horseshoes with the other patrons. A couple clowns ran about, squirting people with water guns. In truth, it was a beautiful experience which I'm glad I was witness to. It was late afternoon when I caught sight of her. I had been aimlessly tossing a horseshoe, not caring where it landed, when she appeared. Her long, dark hair cascaded down past her knees. A stark contrast against the fading light of day. Blue eyes, slightly weathered, held a youthful spark tinged with a hint of mystery. They seemed to pierce through me, probing the depths of my soul. Asking questions, I was ill-equipped to answer. But damn, I wish she would keep staring to keep holding me captive with her gaze. She wore a green dress that hugged her curves adorned with silver jewelry that glinted in the dying sun. A tie-dye handkerchief tied around her head added an eccentric touch to her ensemble. And in that fleeting moment, I felt something stir deep within me. It was a primal longing, a hunger that surpassed reason, a force of nature uncontrollable and magnetic, urging me to forsake all reason and follow her into the unknown depths. I think she wants you to follow her, partner, somebody said, chuckling, and follow I did. She waited for me to come, and upon reaching her, she grabbed my hand. Black nail polish and an emerald ring decorated her soft fingers, caressing my palm as she peered at the lines. She pulled me closer and whispered into my ear.
4: I can tell your fortune.
3: The other patrons laughed some whistling and egging me on. I smiled dumbly, not used to such debauchery, but allowed her to take me to her tent. It said Madame Estelle on its side, with the enigmatic artwork of a lady holding her hands over a crystal ball underneath the lettering. When we entered Madame Estelle's domain, I was struck by the dim chamber filled with candles and mirrors, the feeling of wanting to be there starting to dwindle but my longing to speak with her kept me there, my curiosity and throbbing heart protested my gut instincts. My gaze shifted nervously around until it fell upon an imposing statue, a menacing demon with twisted horns and a vile grin, a harbinger of dread and destruction in its icy stare. It stood in the far corner, large and imposing, appearing to be made of casted bronze it was hideous and i couldn't fathom who on earth would wish to possess such an ugly piece of artwork for a moment i thought of fleeing but a still, soft voice beckoned me farther
4: don't worry about him love he is just a statue i got him from a friend in england she
3: said she was sitting at her table on the other side of the tent crystal ball and tarot cards waiting. Are you a devil worshipper? I said, almost yelling. My voice sounded shrill and I was surprised as well as embarrassed for my sudden outburst, but I couldn't take my eyes off the statue,
4: which seemed to stare back. Of course not, dear. You don't have to stay. You can leave. I only want to tell you your fortune. Her voice was deeper than I had imagined,
3: deeper than before when she had first spoken and it was alluring and hypnotic. I wrenched my gaze from the sinister demon and quickly sat down opposite her. The feelings of desire came back stronger than ever as she sat looking at me, her blue eyes shining like sapphires in the candlelight. How much? I asked. She smiled, melting me
4: in my seat. I don't want your money, dear. I need something else from
3: you. I'm afraid I don't have much to trade. I'm traveling, I said, before realization broke through. She looked at me and her gaze shifted towards the back entrance of her tent. Just outside I could see her wagon with the setting sun casting shadows through the spokes of its wheels. Her smile was like rain her lips like sugar. The warmth met me and soothed my soul, filling me with her mystery and leaving me ravenous for more as she stepped away, walking to her wagon and taking off her bandana as she looked behind her shoulder.
1: You can live out your master chef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
3: That night I slept outside the harpsichord, ending our night on the roof of her wagon and watching the stars. It all happened so quickly. I felt as though I were dreaming. Even now, after all that has happened, I still dream of her embrace. I can still feel the destiny that bonded us. I can still feel her strong hands holding me close when I awoke the next morning, I found myself lying on the ground. The circus and the tents had left and I had somehow been discarded and slept through it all. Confusion quickly set in as I noticed how cold and barren the soil was. The air itself was frigid and my breath was visible. The land was cast in a pallor of deathly chill and gloom. It was as if time itself had stopped. Only the silent wailing of the wind moving my hair made any movement and convinced me I was not lost in an alternate timeline. Every branch, every twig was laden with a ghostly frost so that the trees and hedges around the harpsichord looked like ghastly creatures reaching for the heavens with outstretched claws of ice. The earth was frozen solid, its surface like a sheet of silver. There was no sign of spring, only the empty desolation of a wintry wasteland. I shivered, my breath coming out in a thick cloud, and for a moment I could not tell if it was the cold or the dread that gripped me so heinously. Never before had I felt true terror and in that moment questions flooded my mind. As if to answer those questions, a gunshot rang out, bringing my attention to the front porch. John was standing there, garbed in a cloak and holding a rifle, staring at me with contempt. I picked myself up, raising my hands, bewildered and unable to find my voice. John stepped down the porch and stairs and pointed the rifle at me, bellowing all the way.
4: You've got a lot of nerve coming back here, Charles. What in the hell are you doing? What do you want?
3: He stepped closer to me, his hands shaking. I finally found my voice. John, I swear I don't understand what is going on. I fell asleep with one of the carnival workers last night and woke up like this. John spat on the ground, his eyes bloodshot and filled with anger. A
4: carnival worker,
3: huh? He asked, the venom spewing from his words. I looked at the gun nervously. Okay, I spent the night with your sister, John. It all happened out of the blue. I had no plan of doing that. It just happened. But I can assure you I didn't mean to betray you last night. John's face contorted in anger even more than before.
4: I ain't got time for this. I suppose you feel guilty leaving a woman with me to take care of, is that it? You want to make amends and be a part of her life now? Noble as that may be, you betrayed my sister and me, and you got the law after you.
3: I was flabbergasted. It took some convincing, but I eventually deduced from John that somehow, without a shadow of a doubt, I had disappeared the night I spent with Madame Estelle, and that it was no longer spring but the month of December, Christmas Eve in fact. I'm telling you, John, I am not trying to fool you. I don't
4: understand what is going on.
3: A scream broke out of the house's front door, and John looked behind his shoulder.
4: A man can't sleep through a year, Charles. I don't know where you're getting at, but since you left, things have gone downhill. I couldn't just cast her around, as well you know. I ain't heartless like you. What on earth are you saying? Who? You know damn well who, goddammit. Since we housed her, the business has gone sour. The horses have died, at least the ones we didn't sell, and we had to pay a fortune to the circus after the fire. A fire they say you caused. And you have the damn audacity to show up now? Of all days, now!
3: At that moment, I was rendered speechless. My thoughts jumbled and incoherent. Questions plagued me, but the shrill screams persisted from the house's door. The hairs on my nape prickling with terror. To my relief, John lowered his rifle.
4: Listen, you're here now. We'll sort everything else out later. But first, we must tend to your woman. If time and were an art, you'd earn the gold medal, you bastard.
3: He stomped back up the porch, halting at the front door before spinning on his heel. Well, let's
4: not let all the warmth out of the damn house.
3: My him as he ushered me into the unknown. The terror I felt as we entered the house had a presence about it akin to an unseen ghost lurking around the corners with a sinister grin. The feeling of being watched enveloped me as the air grew heavy and I broke out in a cold sweat. We ascended the stairs, guided by the cries and moans. The door to the first room on the right, my very own quarter, swung open, revealing a scene that defied belief. Estelle writhed in bed, in the midst of childbirth blood saturating the sheets and dripping onto the hardwood floor. Her screams sounded like a merciless slaughter. John's wife stood to her left while a doctor held her hand and yelled instructions on her right. She quieted upon seeing me, strands of hair partially veiling her face. Sitting up in bed, the flames in the fireplace waning, An eerie stillness settled upon us all as her once blue eyes, now pitch black, pierced mine like daggers. The room chilled and darkened as the fire snuffed out completely. An otherworldly silence thickened the air farther. Pressure mounting each second the nearby clock ticked against the far wall. John's wife shattered the quiet with sobs as she lost her nerve. She fled to her husband's arms
4: something ain't natural here your sister was speaking in tongues a moment ago please john do something
3: estelle's unnerving gaze remained locked on mine the doctor recoiled in disgust releasing her hand as a sulfurous stench filled the room my child's head emerged slithering from estelle like a maggot deserting a rotten carcass the infant if you could call it that, revealed his vitality as he independently stood and clambered into his mother's embrace. An unsettling dread seasoned me as he did so. The scene was otherworldly and beyond logic, leaving no doubt that the creature before us was anything but human. Estelle erupted in laughter as the doctor crumpled to his knees, aghast and clutching his chest. She lifted the devilish offspring, its face resembling that of the statue I saw in the tent, and it uttered words of a language I could never comprehend, but instinctively knew. The venomous whispers invaded my eardrums and ravaged my being, my heart hammering with terror as it shared knowledge that humans dare not entertain. I ran. The owners of the harpsichord fallen over as I barreled through them flying down the stairs and bursting through the front door. The harpsichord piano was playing. By itself or by a guest, I could not tell you. The music followed me as I escaped. For a long time, I sprinted down the road, not daring to look behind me for fear of what I might see. After a good deal of running, I stopped, hearing the sounds of horses galloping and men yelling after me. and that was when the local authorities apprehended me, taking me into custody for the deaths of several people during a fire that I have no recollection of, for the disappearance of a few others I had nothing to do with. Now I await the gallows, but I implore any and all to read this story and make their judgment with an open mind. I am innocent and whatever it was that happened at that cursed place was not my doing. Charles finished his story, placing his signature at the bottom of the parchment with four swift strokes. While it was odd for a prisoner to request their last words be written out the day before their execution, the local sheriff obliged him. Charles was charged with the deaths of seventeen people, and the destruction of several thousand dollars worth of damage to Otto's traveling circus. As far as John Harpsichord and his wife, they were never seen again. The doctor was indeed found dead at the estate, as was the bloody bed, but the Harpsichords, as well as Estelle and her child, were missing. It was ruled foul play, but Charles never admitted to where he hid their bodies. The day of his hanging, the beginnings of spring crept into the land. The grass was turning green and the air was warming. It had been almost a year since Charles first set foot in Bedford. Charles looked across the blue sky and at the angry locals. They awaited his death eagerly, ready to put the entire business behind them to get back the quiet life they had before the monster that was Charles broke their peace, Before the lever was pulled, Charles peered at the harpsichord in one last time. There upon the mightiest tower gripping the spire, the demon statue of Estelle crouched, smiling and wretched. Its bronze skin blinded Charles as it shined in the morning sun. And that was The Harpsichord by J.B. Shaw. A good reminder to choose your valentines wisely. For starters, never pick up chicks in the New Age section of Barnes & Noble. Trust me, they do shit like this all the time. A little about the author. J.B. Shaw lives in the Midwest and works in management. He's an emerging writer with a love and passion for the horror genre. He's appeared in a number of small literary journals and magazines, and is also a horrorcore musician.
5: Thanks, J.B. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit SimplyScaryPodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. 10 Bananas.
3: Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend. And don't be so hard on yourself for robbing the flowers from that grave plot Wednesday morning. Trust me, it's what the deceased would have wanted. So may the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. And if your valentine drinks the cream and blames the cat, at least you got her to drink the cream. Yes, Drew, I've finally made an Irish proverb into a blowjob joke. This is the pinnacle of my career. Feel free to shower me with adulation, Jeff. Well, Jeffrey, you should be very proud of yourself. It only took you three years to finally do it,
0: But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com.
1: That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel.